The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 86, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL, that's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. 8-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. It's his birthday today. He is Benjamin Solak. <laughs> follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak, that's S-O-L-A-K. Ben. Happy birthday, brother. How you doing? Thanks, man. I'm doing great. I love birthdays, Mike. I'm in such I'm in such a like like I'm like a happy person, but that's not like so much conditional on mood. Like mood wise, like sometimes I'll be just in like a bad mood, but it's like okay, like an optimistic guy. I'm always in such a happy mood during my birthday, man. I was smile all day. I'm wearing pajamas. It's eleven AM. Still in my pajamas. I'm eating pancakes. <laughs> I've been listening to my grooves playlist all morning, just been dancing around. Oh, what a blast. Didn't go to the gym. Eating pancakes, just not doing anything that I have to do. Oh, I love it. Just talking with your buddy Mike on your birthday, man. What better present could you have than to be doing this show with me? I can't think of anything. Can you? I can think of everything I've done so far today (laughs) in terms of better presents. No, no, no. I'm excited. I love doing the podcast. It's been too long. Like three whole days. Let's get into it, man. Let, let's talk about some stuff. The the few topics that we have for today, we're going to be talking about the running back situation in Philadelphia, their philosophy. We're also going to talk about some fits at 25. Who's being mocked? Does it make sense? Does it not make sense? Who could fall to us? Who probably won't? Things of that nature. Also, we're going to update you on all of the official visits that the Eagles are doing, bringing in draft prospects for their pre-draft evaluation. So we'll get you up to date on all of those. First, Ben. Let's talk about what's going on in the running back room because okay. there are some fans that are hitting the panic button after Le'Veon Bell signed with the Jets. Then the real panic set in after Tevin Coleman signed with the 49ers on a two-year, $8.5 million deal. So I have always said that Le'Veon Bell was not a realistic option on the table. Amen. That's been put to bed. But the Coleman thing is interesting. The way I see it, there are three reasons the Eagles, who were definitively in on Coleman. Let's clarify that. They were in on Coleman, but there are three reasons I think they wouldn't have signed him. Number one, they underbid, 
and let's just say they put out a, an offer of two years, 7.5 mil or 7 mil, and didn't want to come up or exceed the 49ers offer. Number two, they made an equal offer more or less, and Coleman decided to go play for his old coach, Kyle Shanahan. We have to remember, these are players that have decisions to make. We can't just do a Madden thing and up the offer. And Players aren't people. Players GM. are people, Ben. Stop it. Ben so Number Number three, there's something unknown to us, like a medical flag that prevented the Eagles from being comfortable on making a firm offer or caused them to underbid. So which is more likely and does it even matter? We've got people freaking out about how the Eagles didn't make a a strong enough push, but we don't know what happened. Why is it safe to assume the worst when this isn't exactly a reoccurring issue for Howie in the way of making Philadelphia an attractive landing spot for free agents? Or is the problem that the Eagles undervalue the position, which is something we hear often? But here's my thing. How do you define undervalue? Because that's how you specifically value it. This is one of the easiest positions, in my opinion, to stock up on and get production from in the league. Not one of actually the easiest position to get production from. They're the worst paid position in the league if we're not talking about special teamers. So if that's the case, does the league as a whole undervalue running backs or has the viewing public not caught up with the fact that these low salaries being doled out to the position exist for a reason and it's just not some passing fad and hey I get that the Eagles running back room I get what it looks like right and I get what it looked like last year but that was after two significant injuries to Jay Ajayi and Darren Sproles they also got less from Corey Clement than I think anybody was expecting. Yeah, I mean, I'm about to say, Corey also got injured. Right. Significant, you call it a significant injury. I think he was like enough of a role player that it's a significant loss. So that's not like a systemic problem. There were other factors in play that they just couldn't overcome. That's three backs that they got less from than they were expecting coming into the season. No one had tagged it as a problem. And let's remember, it is March 18th. Right now, we got six months. The Eagles have a weird amount of cap room. And if you don't think the Eagles will make a move either in the draft or in free agency or in a trade, then you're just dismissing the fact that when they saw a chance to upgrade the position in the past, they went and traded for Jay Ajayi. They signed LeGarrette Blunt. They make these moves. So I find this whole panic over the running back position just to be a, a slave of the moment type situation. And I'm honestly not too worried about Ben. What about you? Well, you always have to find something to... Be, to complain about and to be worried about. This is what being yeah. a sports fan is, and particularly what being a Philadelphia sports fan is. I mean, I know you're not a Sixers fan. Sixers just beat the Bucks, best team, best record in the NBA, best team in the East. And in doing so, I saw like a deep conversation on Twitter about whether or not it was a problem that Ben Simmons only scored eight points. <laughs> Folks, they beat the Bucks. Like, let's just all sleep at night. You know, it's like it's it's part of what it is to be a sports fan, right? I think that like we start. You know, like it, like we just like branch out from fact. Like so the Eagles didn't sign Tevin Coleman. Does this mean that they don't think running back is a need? No. Like we know for a fact that they view running back as a need on their team. Period. Does this mean the Eagles are just gonna like never pay money to a running back ever again? No, I don't think so. I find it yes very interesting that the Eagles did not offer Tevin Coleman a deal stronger than two years, less than $4 million guaranteed per year, whatever the heck it was, like $5 million total per year. That's a pretty weak deal for a player who can be a good part of a committee, like half of right. a 1A, 1B situation. Uh, mm. that, that's, I think, a good return on Kevin Coleman. And it wasn't like Coleman was signed in San Francisco and the the immediate narrative, the immediate you know breaking news was, Eagles in San Francisco fighting over Tevin Coleman. Tevin decides to go play with Kyle Shanahan. You know, like, if the Eagles had really offered more, I think we would have heard that. I think there would have been a thing that said, like, Coleman chose to go play with Shanahan in lieu of a better offer from the Eagles. You know what I mean? Like, I really, 
that's that's often a thing a nugget that gets to the media so what's what we can actually like discern from no coleman which surprised me it surprised me the eagles did not sign coleman right is either one their interest in him was overstated which mike garofalo was the one who broke it mike garofalo's batting a thousand yeah. so i don't he's crushing like i think the eagles were interested and in they may have been turned off by like something like whether like you know like in the meetings or whatever but the interest was overstated one or two they simply just acknowledged that with two second round picks with a pick at 25 late in the first round with the current scope of the running back class which we're going to talk about they're in a good position to draft a guy and have a guy on a rookie contract, and they prefer that. Like, you know, a lot of the moves they made, we talked about Malik Jackson, the defensive tackle, bringing in uh, or re-signing Brandon Graham. They still have the ability to draft an edge round one. They still have the ability to draft an offensive tackle round one, even though they re-signed Jason Peters. They still have the ability to draft defensive tackle round one, even though they added Malik Jackson. So the, those additions do a really nice job in giving them flexibility to approach the draft as it falls to them. That being said, sometimes you can just enter the draft saying, all right, we need to draft a running back. Like, we that is a need, and we have to address it. It's not a hard need to have in the draft. There's a, a, an overabundance of running backs in every draft class. So there's so many athletes at the position. So it's okay to go into the draft with a needed running back and say, listen, like, you know, Sproul's going to retire, Ajayi's going to walk, and we're going to have a running back room made exclusively of rookie contracts, and that's going to be a cap advantage for us. If that's what you want to build it, like, that's totally fine. So know the Eagles aren't going to address running back. That's not what this is. It simply is saying that we're, we're getting more and more insight into how the Eagles are going to approach the position through the fact that they really, just like one of the better free agents, they didn't even give him a middling contract. It's yeah. eye-opening, and it, I think it, it details their strategy a little bit, but it doesn't mean they're, they're, they're not going to address the position. And it's interesting because at the Combine, Doug Peterson, and we always had this question, right? Is it running back by committee because that's how Deuce Staley wants it, or that's how... Right. Doug Peterson wants it. I think the words of Doug Peterson and the actions of Howie Roseman in the offseason has kind of given us some clarity or at least bumped the needle to the way that I think the organization as a whole feels that this is a running back by committee team, which is fine. The blurb, the soundbite that Howie had was there's more than one way to skin a cat in the sense of it's one of my favorite idioms, <laughs> uh, more than one way to skin a cat. You can have a guy who's your future back and it'll work and you can have a committee and it'll work, which I think just details the fact that because the position has an overabundance of talent, especially young, cheap talent, and not by necessity, but can be filled by multiple players, yeah. it's just a low priority position. So they're going to address it however it best falls to them. Like that's yeah. just, they're, they're not going to go out and, and say, we need to sign this free agent. It's just going to be less if we if we get a good free agent deal, we get it. If we don't, we don't. We're going to draft a guy. If a guy we like falls to us here, we take him. If not, we're going to take a guy later. And if we come in with UDFA Corey Coleman or Corey Clement, UDFA Josh Adams, and UDFA 2019 name as our top three guys, then we do. And we expect with our offensive line that we should be fine with that. And I just recently did a mock for BleedingGreenNation.com. Had a lot of good conversation good around that mock. One of, one of the major criticisms is that I didn't get a running back until the fourth round, right? I, I picked up Divine Azigbo from Nebraska. I waited to get ah. one. But I did double down on offensive line in the second round. Yannick Juiced, offensive tackle out of West Virginia. And then I got Drew Samia, who I think is a fantastic zone fit for the Eagles. Solves a short-term and a long-term problem for them. I'm a big fan of Samia. I get if people aren't in on that pick, but I did want to have that discussion about what that looks like. Obviously, I could have gone with like a Christian Miller edge from Alabama or something like that, but I really wanted to open up the discussion for uh, an early investment at offensive line on the interior. But Let's go back to the right. running back thing. I recently released my top 10 running backs ranked 
and kind of here's how the grades fell out. And this is why I felt like I could wait till the fourth. And I thought it was prudent to wait till the fourth. And understanding when I do a mock, I can't trade up to the third or anything like that. If a guy falls, I'm kind of stuck where I am. But I have a first round grade on Josh Jacobs from Alabama. I have a second round grade on Rodney Anderson from Oklahoma, but he's got a huge medical flag. I wouldn't touch him until day three. Easy. Then I have, and again, that's the only second round grade. So I'm not going to take a guy who I've got a third round grade on in the second round. I'm going to take a guy I've got a second round grade on, or maybe even a first that falls to me at 53 or 57. I don't want to just reach, especially at running back, especially at running back. I've got third round grades on Darrell Henderson from Memphis. Love him. A really high third round grade. He would be the only one you could really convince me of at 57 there. Damian Harris from Alabama. Bruce Anderson from North Dakota State. Miles Sanders from Penn State. David Montgomery from Iowa State. And then the fourth round grades. Divine Izigbo. Boom, right there. That's the pick I made. That's the value I like. Then Justice Hill from Oklahoma State and Devin Singletary rounds out the top 10. So all of that talent around the third to fourth round area, you got a guy that falls from that area that you like in the fourth round. I think that's a perfectly fine place to get it. And if you want to double down and swing twice, go for it, man. If you don't sign somebody in free agency, go get another guy in the sixth round that you think could fit. Really? That's a complimentary you, you, piece. Uh, whenever, whenever we get mock drafts sent to us, which I really like it when people, they, they do draft network mock draft machine simulations and they send them to us for us to comment on them which is fun whenever i see those that double down running back those bother me don't double down running back just bring in three udfa right or and you know what what's interesting okay so send us those double down at running back but tell us a guy tell us a running back that wasn't drafted in the draft that you're calling immediately as a udfa that's kind of how i like to do things too because at the end of the draft they'll say these are my first calls listen you want to tell me who you want me to tell you who my udfa call is not for running back, kind of for running back, but not really. Who? Corey Clement, 2017. New Jersey guy, Eagle fan from the area. Josh Adams, Bucks <laughs> County, 2018 guy. Do you know where I'm going? Are you going with Dexter Eagle. Williams? I don't, I don't know. I don't know where, I didn't know no, where no, he no. went to high school. Eagles regional sort of a guy. You know DeAndre Swift, the Georgia running back, was a Philly uh, high school sports star. His backup running back was Alameda Zacchaeus, who went to Virginia. <gasps> ah, as a three-star running back, and then position change to wide receiver, and now graduates as the leading wide receiver in Virginia history. We've talked about it. He's yeah. like like five eight, a buck eighty, right? He's he's a he's a you know Isaiah McKenzie sort of a build at wide receiver, but he's a slot machine. He's incredibly quick. He's great with the ball in his hands. Got ridiculous balance, so on and so forth. So uh, Zacchaeus would be more so a gadget player. But he's that in the region UDFA right. in terms of a, at least a skill player, a guy who's good with the ball in his hands uh, that the Eagles could add. I like his tape a lot. Alameda Zacchaeus, great name. Yo, Ben, I'm looking at your running back rankings. I'm not sure what I can put out there and, and whatnot. But I will say that you only have two second round grades, which is one guy that I have in the first and Josh Jacobs. And then also Darrell Henderson at the top of the third, who I said was the guy you can convince me of at 57. After that, you got a bunch of third round guys, a bunch of fourth round guys, fifth round guys, sixth round guys. Like there's a big cluster of guys. Where would you, just looking at your rankings, go, okay, let's pull the trigger on this guy. How early are you comfortable doing that? Yeah, so if if we're talking at 53 or 57, I'm okay with with one of Josh Jacobs or Dale Henderson there. Now, okay. I think Jacobs is going to be off the board. Yeah. At 25, I don't expect to see Jacobs. I wouldn't like to see Jacobs. I really don't think it's going to happen. It just does not fit with the mentality, the way this team approaches roster building. So I don't expect to see Jacobs at 25. So Henderson, Jacobs at, at 53, 57, they make sense to me. Now, when we start getting into, I believe, round four, what's the Eagles' next pick numerically? 127 and 138. 127, I think you'll expect to see players like 
uh, Damian Harris, Miles Sanders, Devin Singletary, David yeah. Montgomery probably already off the board. So this is like like my the, my best film grades left would be Rodney Anderson, Oklahoma kid who you identified as uh, a, a big medical question mark, and then Elijah Holyfield who still has a really good film grade from me, but also ran a forty flat at the combine. And so <laughs> we're we're talking about a guy who when I eval I just rank players. You know what I mean? Like you get your film grade, you get your athleticism grade. And you, you get a ranking. Now, I'll red flag things like character concerns, like health, Ronnie Anderson, and then athletic testing thresholds, which are red flagged with Elijah Holyfield. And so while I have him ranked, I believe he's my running back four. Yeah, he's my running back four. He's a mid three grade for me uh, because his testing brought him down. He also does have a red flag for athletic testing. And so you're at the point where, okay, maybe if we're in round five and Holyfield's still around, take the shot. Right. But if we're talking about actually in round three, and there's other backs that are of, of a close grade, and they don't have those red flags. We are probably going to issue selecting Holyfield for the sake of selecting those players. So if we're talking about 127, I'm interested in Ronnie Anderson. I'm interested in Elijah Holyfield if they remain. More on value is going to be your Justice Hills, your Divine Isigbos, your Miles Gaskins, and those are guys who I think can be like you know one Bs guys who could be 10 to 12 yeah. touches a game. Justice Hill is going to be your inside zone runner. Divine Ziggler is going to be your inside zone runner. Miles Gaston is going to be your outside zone runner in terms of what their strengths are schematically. Right. And then you deploy them as such. I think that Gaskin at 127 would really make me excited. He's a good receiving threat. He's really well balanced. He's a little bit smallish. He's not a great size. You know, came in a little heavier at the combine and lost some speed accordingly. But he's a really, really good first to second level runner with a lot of good instincts. And I re- that really appeals to me. Uh, and I think that appeals to a lot of what the Eagles like with their uh, with their runners as well. So those like I think a Zigbo Hill and Gaskin at 127 is right now what I would expect, what I would like to see. Yeah, I just put a stat up there. You, you mentioned a Zigbo as as the zone type runner. I've got the Sports Info Solutions rookie handbook where they have all the analytics for the backs and they and they separate it out. You know, like success rates for zone versus gap for running backs, which is really cool. So positive zone play percentage leaders out of the twenty four that they scouted in this book. Josh Jacobs is number one with fifty five point seven percent. Makes sense. Divine Zigbo at fifty four point three percent. And then Damian Harris at 52%, which is, I mean, that's that's what you're looking for if you're the Eagles as a heavy zone team. Right. May I ask Yeah. where Justice Hill is? What's his ranking? My guess is it's going to be like a little bit low, like lower than I want it to be. Because Hill in my evaluation is like, listen, either he kills this run by banging it up backside and he's super electric or... He has no idea where the heck he's going. It's total feast or famine with him running zone. Yeah, he's kind of, he's kind of low. I don't I don't have the full ranking fleshed out because that's not I had to put that together manually. But he's at forty yeah. percent for his zone success, which is low comparatively to the other guys on the yeah, list. Yeah, that's that's lower than where he should be. Yeah. Either way, dude, the uh, SIS handbook seems really sick. It's awesome, man. Ton- tons of good nuggets in there that I've been tweeting out as we go through. I'm also scheduled to talk with Matt Manichurian, the football director for Sports Info Solutions, to have him on for a chat to talk about it, dig in some, into some Eagle-specific stuff. He's a former scout. He's an awesome dude. Met him down in Mobile. Look forward to that later on in the week. But when we come back to the Kiston Solak Show today, what's going on right now, we are going to be talking about some official visits. And we are also going to be talking about next some fits at 25 players that are being mocked to the Eagles, players that we think could go to the Eagles, maybe the philosophy behind it as well. That's coming up next on the Kist and Solak Show. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Back here on the Kissed and Solak Show, episode 86, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Ben, let's talk about some options at 25. And to do so, we can look at it from a number of angles. One angle that I'm particularly interested in is the interior defensive line because the Malik Jackson signing, you could argue that because it's such a great class to grab a big man and the depth still required for the Eagles to make it so they can rotate the way that they want, that it's still important, that defensive tackle is still on the board very high for the Eagles. Ben, does the acquisition of Malik Jackson hurt the chances of the Eagles drafting, let's say, Christian Wilkins, the defensive tackle out of Clemson, or Dexter Lawrence, two guys that are commonly mocked to the Eagles at 25. And then does it actually help the chances of drafting a medical redshirt guy from Mississippi State like Jeffrey Simmons, who recently tore his ACL? Does it help that chance because it's not such an immediate need and they can take a chance on a redshirt guy, bring him in next year, and then have a a really crazy uh, defensive interior rotation? Because he's a top 10 guy for me on film, and I think he was going to test through the roof for a big man. What do you think? See, I so I think, like, yes, the addition of Malik Jackson hurts the chances of drafting a defensive tackle in this way. Let's say, you you know, you have nobody next to Fletcher Cox, and let's say the Eagles have, like, Christian Wilkins as a top 15 player on their board, and they also have Cody Ford, offensive tackle out of Oklahoma, top 20 player on their board, right? Top 15 player on their board. Both are available at 25. We have Jason Peters for one more year. You know that you've at least got him starting there. Big B obviously backing up. Lane Johnson on the right. You have nobody next to Fletcher Cox. You wish you could take Cody Ford. You have him ranked higher than Christian Wilkins. But because of the need at defensive tackle, there's no Malik Jackson. You say, all right, Wilkins is a top 15 player on our board. We we, we have to take him. We, we got to try to draft an offensive tackle later. Even though you may have wanted to take Ford over Wilkins in a vacuum. Because Malik Jackson's there, you introduce flexibility. It's what I alluded to earlier. Jason Peters, Brandon Graham, Malik Jackson. Three players, obviously Jason's a one-year guy, Brandon Graham, Malik Jackson are three-year deals, but three players who addressed really like the three positions that really could have become big holes, big gaps, big needs for Philadelphia. But, you know, Jackson, Graham, and Peters are there. All three positions can still be addressed. Because the three are there, there's flexibility. If a good offensive tackle falls, if a good edge falls, if a good defensive tackle falls, the Eagles can snag that guy up and not worry about big holes the other two positions. So it does make it less likely in that regard. But defensive tackle is still very much so on the table. Hmm. I don't think it moves the needle on Jeffrey Simmons too much because of the reality of his off-field incidents, because right. of his background, obviously. You know, he had the violent incident. He had, uh, you know, potential dismissal from the program and whatever. So because of that, you're still, I think, you're to find teams who are shying away from him in round one and then probably somebody who's going to snag him up in round two, which is kind of just the way these character concerns off-field incident things sort of go however you know much that makes sense or whatever you know kind of quality of roster management that is so i don't think you'll see the eagles go simmons in round one i I do think defensive tackle is still very much on the table Uh, to me like the eagles have bigger holes at linebacker and running back than they do at offensive tackle edge and defensive tackle but i still think that group of three is more likely than the other two because of the philosophies of the of the front office because of the philosophies of the shot callers they're more likely to draft in the trenches in round one than they are draft running back and linebacker which are just objectively not as high value positions of course quietly in all of this is safety which is a high value position and also a big hole but we've been talking about that for a while so (laughs) 
yeah, to me, you know, I gave the Eagles a defensive tackle in my most recent mock draft because I really think that they could go for that position. Yeah, let's talk about that because you had a guy that not a lot of people think are going to be there, but where there's smoke, there's fire, as you said in your article about the possibility of him falling. That is Ed Oliver, the interior defensive lineman out of Houston, who coming into the season was seen as a top three type of guy that team that, that teams would absolutely love. I mean, the guy has got a crazy athletic profile, going to be the one of the best athletes at his position in the history of history. Such a good athlete that some teams wanted him to do the linebacker drills. Ben, why do you think that Ed Oliver could be the guy that falls? Because I think this is great because everyone's like, he won't be there. And I hate that guy because every year, we get someone that inexplicably falls. Is Ed Oliver possibly that guy, Ben? We never know yeah. who's going to end up where. We can read the tea leaves as best we can. The important thing to remember is that the NFL draft is one iteration of something that could go 95 billion different ways. <laughs> yeah. And also, it is not a reflection on the the gestalt of, of NFL teams, right? Like when one team drafts, Terrell Edmonds in the first round. It doesn't mean the NFL viewed Terrell Edmonds as a first rounder. Right. It means one thirty second of the NFL <laughs> viewed Terrell Edmonds as a first rounder. And that's probably a real possibility with Terrell Edmonds because not a lot of people saw that coming. And so I think what it is is like, and this is a very tricky thing to say because the world is full of Jason Locke and Foras, but <laughs> knowing who to listen to and knowing kind of who has their thumb really on the pulse in terms of the NFL draft and how teams view prospects is really like a better signifier than the actual draft, which like sounds heretical, but the draft is I can't is just one iteration, right? It's it's one run of something that like again could have gone five million ways. And, like yeah. it always comes back to John Lynch drafting a running back who was not even on his board in the third round, and Joe Williams. Like the weirdest stuff happens on draft day. Let's talk about that butterfly effect because have, have you ever done a mock where and and I know the mock draft simulator for the draft network kind of eliminates this possibility. But when you do like a hand typed mock, have you ever forgotten a player where you were like, wow, he really would have made a lot of sense at 12 there. And then you put him in and then the entire rest of the draft looks different. You can't just plug and play Absolutely. one play. Like relative positional value, where the class is strong, where the class is weak, inflection points. Like the, the, like the Jets hold the most power in this draft right now. Three is an incredibly interesting spot, yeah. right? If, if Kyler goes one or two, then, you know, probably four is where it starts to get a little more interesting. But, like, the Jets need an offensive tackle, need an edge, need a wide receiver. Well, they've got a lot of edge options, a lot of offensive tackle options, and DK Metcalf as, like, the wild card. No idea. I have no idea. I have no bead on what the Jets are going to do. Yeah. I gave them Josh Allen. But I, like, I have nothing that ties the Jets to Josh Allen in terms of people I've talked to and what I've heard. Well, that could go any any other direction. And then all of a sudden, Josh Allen's fallen down to four. The Raiders draft Josh Allen instead of Kyler Murray, where I gave him Kyler Murray. But now we're like we're off the wall. You know what I mean? So like, it, it, it's so important to remember, predicting the draft is, is, is next to a crapshoot. I mean, it's blind darts. But something we've seen undeniably over the course of the draft cycle is the slow fall of Ed Oliver. And Oliver declared for the 2019 NFL draft before his junior season even began. And an unbelievably dominant player in the AAC, an incredible defensive tackle with great penetration, amazing quickness, great tape. Dealt with some injury. The extent to which he could have came back versus he was deciding to sit is a, a matter of topic of conversation. Uh, obviously had a bit of a spat with his head coach, which is something that NFL teams acknowledge. And then also played 
around 280 pounds at, you know, nose tackle, a defensive tackle. So instead of playing a zero technique, he will be playing a three technique at the next level, and he will be doing it at a relatively smaller size. Now, obviously, so do Aaron Donald, and so do Grady Jarrett, and players like this. So we acknowledge that there's a path to success. But when we discuss those players, we always discuss them in terms of they're so successful despite their size, because we acknowledge... They're outliers. An outlier, exactly. It is an outlier for a player to be a very successful sub-290 pound, around 290 pound defensive tackle. It's becoming more common as the game changes, but it's still viewed as an outlier, even if not by us, then by teams. And so when I look at a team like the Giants, when I look at a team like the Vikings, when I look at a team like the Steelers, you know, I don't see these teams drafting a 280 pound defensive tackle. Right. It doesn't make sense for the way that they've typically built their rosters. So, like, we're, when we're looking at where Ed Oliver's going to go, okay, I think he's a top five talent in the class. I don't think he's going to go before Quinn and Williams. I wouldn't be shocked if Christian Wilkins goes before him as well. Right. I can see, like, the Raiders taking Ed Oliver, but, like, the Buccaneers the, at five, the Giants at six, the Jaguars at seven, the Lions at eight. It doesn't make sense for the way those teams are currently constructed and so i think at oliver falling out of the top 10 is something that we should expect period once we get into the teens it's a question of again that one team that 132nd of the nfl who's going to be the team that's willing to take the stab philadelphia makes sense as one of those teams yeah. philadelphia values above anything else on their defensive line the ability to penetrate upfield generate quick pressure they do not particularly value staunch run defense right. that fits oliver's profile also, they have an infrastructure in place where Oliver, if he doesn't totally pan out, isn't too much of an issue because you have Malik Jackson, and you also have the ability to move guys around. They like to put big rushers at the five when it comes to you know long, uh, long and late rushes. At the five technique is what I'm saying when it comes to third down and long, and so they have the ability to move Oliver around a little bit. Obviously, he's next to Fletcher Cox, so he isn't drawing double teams as much, which is huge for Ed Oliver, who really suffered being triple teamed his final season because great player so Oliver fits for Philadelphia we should expect him to fall out of the top 10 there's a reason teams are talking about moving him to linebackers because they don't know what to do with him and players that they don't know what to do with typically fall so while Oliver gets a ton of media coverage and I think he's a great 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 talent from what we see from the the league expect him to fall out of the top 10 and if he gets within Philadelphia's range he's absolutely a fit for what they like at the position another guy that could fall and maybe we can talk about both these guys real quick and clarify our thoughts on him I know we talked on him before so we can make it brief before we move on to another position that is heavily mocked to the Eagles and I don't understand it uh, Mississippi State defensive end Montez Sweat who blew up the combine also there are some concerns there Ian Rappaport reported that combine medical exams revealed a pre-existing heart condition sources say so this is a guy that was headed into the top 10 after his combine performance according to a lot of different people now might have to battle some worries about him the good thing and we saw this with Maurice Hurst the defensive tackle out of Michigan last year they did not let Maurice Hurst participate in the combine however with Sweat they did let him participate so hopefully that's a good sign for Sweat because you never want to see that happen to a guy and see a stock fall for something like that but that might be a possibility there so let's talk about two edge guys there and, and the possibility that they might take an edge at that position the guys that actually there's three guys the, the guy and we talked about polite before as well but Jakai polite who just bombed the combine absolutely just failed it a guy that we liked on film and then just we don't know what happened with him coming into indy maybe got some bad advice or just didn't want to listen to the advice uh cleveland furl 
the edge out of Clemson, who I really like a lot of polish, but maybe doesn't fit the profile for the Eagles as far as what they want for an edge rusher. Montez Sweat, the longer type, got those crazy long poles. Any of those for you, do it at 25. Yeah, the one who fits the the Eagles profile the best is Polite. First up, explosiveness, more of a compact frame, obviously a smaller guy. He's not actually 258 pounds because right. he came in with really bad weight, the combine. <laughs> Sweat and Furl are both, I think, absolutely options. They don't fit the molds in terms of Philadelphia's rushers on the edge typically don't win with length, with power, with inside hand counters. It's a lot of, of explosiveness. Brandon Graham's obviously a speed to power sort of a player. And they've got much more compact frames, guys who can get underneath you. I wouldn't hate either pick. 25 is where, like, that'd be good value for me with Furl, yep. with Sweat. I haven't, I haven't adjusted his grade for his athleticism, which is going to boost his grade, but that's right about where I would like him off of film, so I'm assuming that's going to be good value off of my board as well. Same. Those both make sense. I do think the need at edge is a little less than the need at defensive tackle because the, the it's Fletcher Cox, Malik, and then nobody. Whereas for the Eagles, right now you have Brandon Graham, obviously Chris Long maybe for another year, but then it's uh, Derek Barnett and Josh Sweat behind them. And so you've got two young players, and that I think is good for that rotation. But obviously adding another young guy, never a problem. Yeah. So I don't view edge as that big, as that big of a need as, as compared to defensive tackle, but absolutely is on the board for one. And again, this is a situation where if Philadelphia's got top 15 grades on Furl and Sweat, Got a top 15 grade on Christian Wilkins, Ed Oliver. Got a top 50 grade, 15 grade on Cody Ford, Jonah Williams. Well, they have the ability to go and get the guy who's at the best value at 25 because they've locked up those positions in the short term. And that's an important thing to remember. When you're drafting at 25, you're expecting to get a guy who's top 15, 20 on your board. Mm-hmm. When you're drafting at 53, you're expecting to get a guy who's top 40 on your board. By the time, the, the general rule is like by the time you're in round five, you're drafting round three grades. Like that's like how like, you know, because every team's got super different boards. And so this is the, the sort of flexibility and the sort of caliber player we expect Philadelphia to get. That's why you hear G, you hear GM saying things after they draft a guy like, oh, like, you know, like Christian Wilkins was a top 15 player for us. We were excited to get him at 25. One more position quickly that we'll talk about. Ben, these are two guys that got mocked to us recently. DeAndre Baker, cornerback out of Georgia. Byron Murphy, cornerback out of Washington. What percent would you put on the Eagles drafting one of these guys if they fell to us at 25 a percent chance of them drafting a corner yeah we can call it any corner i'm just saying those are two guys that got that got mocked to us point zero one point zero one there it is one one thousandth that's crazy is even after ronald darby was brought back on what amounts to a prove it deal who's mocking the a corner of the eagles after johnny was brought back who name him charles davis from nfl.com rj white from cbs sports Jared du- uh, Dubin from CBS Sports. We've also got Dan Kadar, Dan Kadar from SB Nation. Uh, I mean, there's a ton, dude. There is a ton. I feel like people watched the Eagles last year really struggle against the pass because they were playing Chandon Sullivan, Devontae Bosby, all these other guys, not realizing, yo, they're the most banged up team in the NFL yeah, Devontae Bosby just had an interception in the AAF, okay? The this is what we're dealing with. <laughs> like, it, it's one thing to say the Eagles need improvements at corner, but when you have to look at the way the roster is constructed, they have, before Ronald Darby, five rookie contracts at corner. Right. You can't add another one. Like, you yeah. just, it doesn't make any sense. Like, like to add a rookie contract to corner, you have to take another rookie contract away from another position, which means you have to go spend money in that position, which the Eagles have, like, cap space in heavy quotations right now but like it just, just from a roster building perspective you would have no second contract players you'd have six guys on rookie deals <laughs> it's a bananas yeah 
You got to stop at some point. I mean, you got to. Right. Like, eventually, you have to say, like, like what? So you're going to have, like, six guys who are young, raw, maybe starters, but not yet, and they all need time? Right. They all need reps? There's only there's only two outside corner spots. <laughs> there's no more. You know, like, it, it, it just doesn't, from a roster building perspective, it, it, it just not, like, I think the way that a GM would approach the draft. And that was right. before the Ronald Darby signing, and it's absolutely the truth after Ronald Darby signing. All right. Enough of that nonsense, Ben. Last topic of the show before we get out of here, we got to get you updated on some official visits. These draft prospects being brought in by the Eagles, part of their official 30 visits that they are allotted. Let's get started first. Official visit. Hit the sound effect. Karan Higdon from Michigan. Running back. Really not all excited about that one. I mean, decent tape. Decent runner, just kind of a guy that you draft in day three and go, yeah, he can be part of a committee. You missed the best part. What? Super jacked. Oh, he's built. Super duper jacked. Slapped together. Well sculpted, young fellow. Yeah. Tightly wound. (laughs) Next up is O'Shane Zimenez, Old Dominion Edge player. He is an official visit. And here are the exciting ones, Ben. And we just got film on this guy, and I really want to go through it because they worked him out. Jeff Stoutland went to his pro day, personally worked him out through his pro day, and then they followed up with an official visit for Titus Howard, the Alabama State offensive tackle. And the other exciting one for me, and this is a position that I mocked in the first round and the mock that I alluded to earlier. I took Nasir Adderley from Delaware, but the Eagles are bringing in a guy who's got a first-round grade, top-20 grade on my board, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Chauncey. the Florida safety. Woo-hoo-hoo! He is an official visit as well. Ben, what do you think about this this initial four that has been released? If Chauncey's the pick at 25, Woo! I will dance. I will I'll dance. be live on air from Nashville for the Draft Network, so you'll be able to see it. Uh, yeah. But I'll get up, I'll do a quick little jig. Man, I love that player. Safety yeah. one. Deontay Thompson is safety two. Different conversation, different time. Johnson Gardner uh, is safety what? one. Really, really fun tape. And what I love the most about Chauncey is I think he's true combo. He's as combo as you can get. Oh, yeah. Play box, play short zones, play man coverage, fill the alley, play deep. Deep needs a little bit of work, but it's fine. Everything else is starting caliber. And that versatility is just not regular. Uh, that that That's what's going to put you in round once. What's going to put you in top 20 grades for me. Really, really like that I see that from Chauncey. Tone setter, too. I think that when you go through Florida games and you especially look at reps in the first quarter, you see that Chauncey's first drive, Chauncey's second drive, he's really trying to take somebody's head off. And when he does, he lets them know about it. He really, really likes to set send a message and set a tone for his defense. And I love, love, love that in my safeties, especially a bit of my secondary players in general. His, I think Chauncey's character and his personality would fit in really well in Philadelphia. That makes me very exciting. O'Shane's and minis. I'm super duper in on O'Shane's and minis at 127. Okay. You know, like, like and, yeah. and I, he won't still be there. The Eagles would have to trade it to round three. Uh, he might even be around two sort of a guy. I don't think I'd love him at 57. You know, it depends on who else is on the board, obviously. But Zimini's is, is a guy that I really like as a potential backup edge. You know, by year two, year three, he's your edge three. I think that's the best way for him to do it. I think him as a nine tech, he's the best deployment for him. So Philadelphia's interest makes sense. It's a question of value. As I said, Karan Higdon is super yoked up. And then Titus Howard was the last one. Yep. Interesting thing about Titus Howard, uh, just got my hands on his film. Hey. And man, he's not very good, uh, which sucks. That's very sad. But <laughs> obviously, 
uh, a quality athlete and a guy who's new to the position relatively coming from a small school. So he's that type that you like to develop. I don't think Philadelphia's in the market for a developmental guy. I think that that slot's already filled for them. So obviously they're doing their homework on Howard and it's a connection that's clearly been made and I wouldn't be surprised to see it, but I do I do think he's he's more of a developmental piece than he is a, a guy who'd be ready, you know, by year 1 at all, which obviously doesn't need to be ready by year 2. Okay, but that's when you would think that maybe Jordan Mailata would be ready if he's right. going to be ready. So I don't know, like it doesn't make too much sense. The Eagles would be rostering a lot of offensive tackles uh, from a developmental perspective. You know right. what I mean? So that's interesting. Yeah, and, and a couple of things I'll touch on there. I watched O'Shane. Is it Zimenez or Zimenez? Whatever I said is probably <laughs> wrong. I'm going to call him O'Shane. Yeah, O'Shane. I mean, O'Shane's a great name. Yeah, it's funny because I have a buddy from high school who wrestles at Old Dominion whose name is just Shane. <laughs> I mean, it's it's Shane. It's not just Shane. Shane, and he's O'Shane. Very simple naming conventions for that family. You can follow along really easily. But I, I watched O'Shane, and the first thing that popped out was, oh, yeah, it, this is the profile for a guy that fits the Eagles pretty well. He tested like one. He looks like one. He, you know, a decent bend, decent testing, all of that stuff. Uh, Titus Howard, obviously a lot of interest there with Stout. So we'll see if that's a guy that Stout thinks he can build up. I thought he had good tape against Auburn, man. I really did. You think, did you see that clip of Stout working him out in the, it's in the, uh, like the kick slide drill, the post foot discipline drill, where, Basically, Howard's just like working through like a diagram on the, on the on the field, just keeping his feet down and keeping his his integrity in his hips. Stout running the draw opposite him is just like chucking him, like just like hitting him in the shoulder, hitting him in the midsection, trying to throw him off balance. And Stout's doing it, and then Stout slaps him. Stout like collapses him upside the head. Do you see this? No. Right? He's like he's like trying like obviously like you're gonna get blows to the head, but Titus Howard's not wearing a helmet, right? And it's like it's not super hard, but Stout's like like shoving the shoulder, you know, shoving the chest, like getting to the sternum, and then he just like. Like, like back when, like, I used to do something stupid when I was a kid, just my mother clapped my upside the head, just, like, clocks him on the side of the head, and Howard just keeps on going the drill. It killed me. It was so Stalin. I was dying. I love Stalin. But anyway, no, I think that, I think that Howard's kick slide is a mess, and I think his technique's pretty bad, but that's okay. Ben, that is going to do it for the Kissed and Solek show number 86. You want to say goodbye to the gentle listeners, and uh, one last time, bud, happy birthday, brother. Thanks, Mike. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening to the Kiss and Soul Act show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. Uh, this was the Running Backs pod, plus some official visits, plus um, defensive tackle at Oliver Talk. Hopefully, uh, further pods going down the uh, down the mountain, as it were, as we approach the draft. 38 days away, Michael. Uh, as we get closer and closer to the draft, go over some more positions of interest, talk about some final rankings from Mike and I, talk about some more mock drafts, and go over some more official visits. If you enjoyed the podcast, which I sure hope you did, go ahead and leave a rating, review, and subscription. Only five-star ratings will be accepted if you leave a four-star rating. We will find you, and we will kill you. Just kidding. <laughs> Liam Neeson does that. That got dark. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K's. And Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. We will catch you next week. We all we got. We all we need. We all we need. Somebody on Twitter told me I should start just doing that when you do We All We Got because yeah. they feel like it's supposed to be call and response. So I felt like maybe I'll just throw in a We All We Need at the end let's, as like an echo. Let's try it. Let's let's try it. We All We Got. We All We Need. Why the, why the big pause? They, they built a drama. The listeners were like, they were like checking their car. Like, did the cut out? Am I getting a call? Like, what happened to my headphones? It was like suspense. Yeah, have you have you seen the football life of Pat Summerall, where it's him and Madden in the booth, and they always had to plug "Murder She Wrote" like to, for for the promos for it, the old TV show, and it got to the point okay. where each time 
Summerall would say murder, he would leave a more pregnant pause in between that and be like, murder, she wrote. And it would just get longer and longer every time, and, and Madden's there just dying in the booth. See, this is the exact sort of nonsense I would do if they let me into the Monday Night Football booth, right. which I still believe they should do. And as a consolation prize, I will accept the Eagles preseason games now that Mike Mayock is the Raiders GM. But <laughs> if somebody gave me a hot mic and like a, a six-figure audience – for three hours and a football game going on, yeah. the the number one thing I would do would be just chicanery, foolishness, and pranks. It would just be total silliness. It would be as many – I would try to fit as many idioms in as I could, yep. especially the funniest ones. I would use all of my weird old-timey exclamations, yep. which, hey, I'm another year closer to that being okay, which is great news for everybody. <laughs> now I'm 22, I'm only 40 years away from my jargon actually representing my age. Sweet Christmas. Absolutely sweet Christmas. Mother Mary. Heavens to Betsy has been a really strong one recently. <laughs> and I would just make jokes. It would just like, I would just get in the booth, I'd be like, this football game is probably about me. It's not about the players in the field. Right. I should draw as much attention to myself. I want to be in a booth just once so badly. All right, Ben. That's going to do it. Okay. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. P-G-N. <laughs>